Father, we come before you and we ask that you would teach and that you would guide us, that you would help us in our pursuit of being true disciples, that we wouldn't just fake it, but we'd actually work at it. We know that this is your will. You have told us that we are supposed to go and make disciples, and that means we are to be disciples. We get that, Lord. We understand. And help us uh, to accomplish this goal. Help us to be dedicated to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have just covered the Ten Commandments, almost all of them. We've gotten through commandment number one is have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, make no graven image. Commandment number three, do not take God's name in vain. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Commandment number five, honor your father and your mother. Commandment number six, you shall not murder, which is not kill. Thou shall not kill, it's thou shall not murder. And we are on number seven. And as I mentioned at the opening of the message last week, the Ten Commandments are about our desires as opposed to God's desires. We have the desires to have another God besides the one true God. We'd like to make an image, carve it ourselves, or buy it off of a lot. It doesn't matter. Uh, Our desires to do that. Our desire on the inside. And, you know, when I was in high school and in college before I got saved, I remember how satisfying cuss words were. I I would say them and my flesh would just revel in having it roll off of my tongue. It seemed like it'd be so satisfying and the flesh just loves that. And God says, don't do that. And, you know, in Colossians, it says that we're to put away all filthy language as well and coarse jesting. That means dirty jokes. We're not supposed to say off-colored things and, and joke in that kind of matter as well as take God's name in vain. And as far as remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, we got so much to do at home. Uh, you know, I could be riding a bike down on the boardwalk right now. I'm sure it's beautiful down there, but to spend the time and the idea is you spend time regularly in worship and fellowship. If you're not fellowshipping, you're really not participating in the body of Christ. It's just like if you're not involved in worship, if you don't show up for the worship, you are not participating in the body of Christ. You are a lone ranger Christian. And there's no such thing in Scripture. God wants us to be unified, tightly knit together, both be blessed together and suffer together because we know that in this life there is suffering. That's the purpose in the Old Testament, of keeping the Sabbath days because God wanted them to sit down and talk with each other. The same thing applies for us. We enter into Christ and he is our Sabbath day's rest, according to Hebrews chapter 4. But we need to interact. If we're not interacting, we are not participating in the body of Christ. You you may as well say, I'm not part of of the body of Christ, you know, if we're doing that. And so that's why we want to make sure that we are remembering, quote-unquote, the Sabbath. We're in Christ, and we have fulfilled that, but we are fellowshipping. That is the desire of God for us. And then we all desire to rebel against our parents. That is correct. These are our desires, and God says, no, take your desires and bury them crucify them make sure that they are covered over that the stone is rolled across that that it is not able to resurrect whatsoever that is the idea of taking about cross and walking daily in that and of course the murder one is we like to get angry 
We want to be justified. We want to go to the complaint department and we just want to scream and we want to yell. Um, I I read little blog posts all the time and uh, sometimes people put up little blog posts about their jobs, what they do in their jobs. And there was some store, it was like a CVS or something like that. And the person wrote, Man comes in and refused to sell him alcohol because he doesn't have his ID, goes ballistic and starts screaming at everybody in the store because he left his ID in the car, right? I don't know if you've ever seen that or maybe you've experienced that yourself or maybe you've done that yourself where they require something of you and you say, I can't believe you're asking me for that. Or, you know, you see that all the time when, uh, like if you go into Circle K, some kid wants to buy cigarettes. Oh, I'd left my ID at home. and oh, Sorry, you can't buy it. What do you mean? I, don't I look like I'm 48 when they're 16? You know, something like that. And so our desires are to do just the opposite of what God wants us to do. And it is a struggle for us. And when we find out, you know, you read the scripture, especially the Old Testament, you get a lot of, don't do this, don't do that. And when somebody says you can't do something, what's your reaction naturally? I don't care who you are. I'm going to do that anyhow. I'm just going to go in my direction after all. I am the king of my castle. I'm the master of my destiny. And we just do what we want to do. Now, this next commandment, this is a tough commandment. This is a tough commandment because we are all subject to it. And I believe we have all violated it. And what's the remedy with that if we all violated it? And we all, in some fashion, probably continue to violate it. Now, God has given us the perfect standards here in the commandments. In verse 14 is commandment number 7. You shall not commit adultery. Now, I'm just going to tell you what this is as plainly as I can. But this one always has a lot of questions surrounding it. I'm going to give you point number one about this idea, this commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Point number one is we are only to be married once and we are never to have a sexual relationship with anyone who is not our first spouse for the rest of our lives unless they die. If they die, you're free to remarry and have a physical relationship with that individual. That's what this means. One man, one woman, forever, unless one dies. Then you're free to remarry. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. So he's saying that it is so difficult to fulfill this, that if you divorce, you become an adulterer as a man, and you cause your wife to become an adulteress as a woman if you simply divorce. You become adulterers if you divorce. And the disciples said, well, if that's the case, 
it's better never to marry because then you won't run the risk of sinning in this area of adultery. And Jesus says, true. This is true. If you can handle it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going, wait a second. You're, you're telling me that it's just one person that I'm supposed to experience this physical relationship with for my entire life. Yes, that's what God says. Now, I want to remind you of something. I am the messenger. So when I give you this information, and there's more to this, when I give you this information, you don't have to walk away from here going, well, Pastor Bill said. No, it's not Pastor Bill. This is what God says. I'm giving you the information. I, I want to make sure you know the perfect standard which is out there and then how God wants us to relate to that perfect standard, what we are supposed to do. Also, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, because there's so much sexual immorality, in verse 2, Paul writes, Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. This is talking about the physical relationship. And for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so since the commandment is one man, one woman, since there's so much immorality, get married and then do not deprive each other the physical relationship. What he's saying here, and it's pretty definitive, he's saying that if you're married and one spouse has a stronger desire than the other spouse, give in to the stronger desire. Whoever that might be, wherever it might go, never deprive the spouse. Why? Because you are it. There's no one else that can fulfill this particular need that an individual has, God has put that drive within us. Why do you think that there are 7 billion plus people on the planet? It's because God put this desire in us and this desire is strong. And I think by experience and by surveys, it is stronger in the males. Now, I, I want to tell you something. At age... 17, 18, 16, 19, 22, 21, hormones are, and I'm going to use the softest word I can find. For males, hormones are raging. That is the softest term I can come up with to describe what is going on inside a young male. Their mind is consumed. I don't know why God has done this. He has done this this particular way, except that he wanted to fill the earth. He wanted the earth to be populated. And, you know, young guys, that's all they think about. A personal example of this, I, when I was young, when I was 19, I took... Now, actually, I was 20... I was 22. Uh, I took a ride on the East Coast on a bicycle before bicycles were known in the United States. It was from Maine to Florida. We rode bikes all the way down the East Coast, and we got to some place like North Carolina. 
and there were five or six of us, and we pulled up to this little podunk gas station. And there was a boy there. He was about 15, 16 years old, and all we wanted to do was fill up our water bottles. And he came up to us, and he goes, Hi, guys, where are you from? And we said, We're from California. He goes, Oh, really? Are there girls out there? We said, Yeah, there are girls. And he said, Are they pretty? Are, Are they pretty? Yeah, they're pretty. And then he says, Do you guys have girlfriends? Yeah, we have girlfriends. Wow, I'd like to go to California someday. And so we get some water. And then once we're done with the water, he goes on another round of questioning about young women. And you could tell this this poor boy, you better just get some chains, put them around his ankles and his wrists and just set them down and do not let them move for the next 10 years. Because he was just completely obsessed. Now, that's the way it is with the male. Now, women, I know women can be that way as well. But I I also, uh, Patty and I were talking and... I had just read a little article, a wonderful article that they thought they had discovered something new, that young men would rather be with their young women friends than with their guy friends, but young girls would rather be with their girlfriends than with a young boyfriend. Now imagine that. They discovered that. They probably spent all kinds of money to figure this out. That's just the way that we are built. And that's why the guy has to pursue the young lady. That's the way God designed it. That's the way he wants it. Just as using the confines of marriage, referring to Christ and the church, Christ pursued us. He is the one that came to us. He is the one that made everything possible. That's why the man pursues the woman. He's the one that makes a life for her. At least that's the biblical model. Uh, that we're supposed to follow if we can. So I've given you the first point. The second point is even lusting after another individual sexually who is not our spouse is considered a sin. Just thinking about another person sexually is a sin. It's called adultery. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it says, do not commit adultery, but I tell you anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so God says, we are guilty here. God has designed so that it is one man, one woman in the confines of marriage for life with no test drives. Test drives are no living together, no premarital sexual relationships. All of that is supposed to be static. It is never to change. And again, unless one spouse dies, the person is free to remarry according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. With this definitions or these definitions that I've given you, it's my belief that no one is or has been free from this sin because it deals with not only the physical act, but our thoughts as well, which means we are all adulterers. That's what God says. And his commandment is, do not commit adultery. We are all guilty. So what about this? Well, I'm going to give you a, a more broad standard here i'm going to give you four points there is the standard the setting the solution and the center first of all the standard what is adultery and what is god's standard for the sexual relationship what does he say is supposed to happen and i have several points here and if you can't write them all down it's okay you can go back to the website and you can look it up adultery is defined number one in scripture as having a sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse 
That's point number one. Now, it needs to be expanded a little bit from there. When adultery is committed, one or both of the parties may be married to someone else or one of the two individuals committing adultery may be single. In other words, you may have a single individual sleeping with somebody who is married or two married people who are not married to each other. They are sleeping together. That is what God defines as adultery. Adultery is not the act of two single people having a physical sexual relationship. That is known as fornication, which is also in Scripture. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 16, it reads, If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, now this would be two high schoolers or two college kids hooking up is what they call it in the vernacular of today. It says, he must pay the bride price and she shall be his wife. So if in the Old Testament, if you slept with somebody one time, if you were single, you were supposed to marry them. And if the father says, I will never give my daughter to you because of what you have done, he must still pay the bride price for virgins which means he has to cough up some major ducats, some cash, some dough. Or it was sheep and it was cattle and it was all those things he had to pay the bride price. Now, when I went to Israel uh, once, we went over to the city of Petra and the guy who was our tour guide, he was a Jordanian. And he said he got married. And when he got married, the first time, he had to buy gifts for everybody in the bride's family. And there was about one or 200 people. He had to buy an individual gift for every one of them. He had to pay for the entire wedding. He had to pay a bride price. It was tens of thousands of dollars that he said he had to pay. And this man is from the Middle East. And he, he probably now that was uh, 40 or, I don't know, some odd years ago that he had gotten married. And so he told us that that's just the way it is. Just like in biblical times, you had to pay this price. You had to give these gifts. You had to pay the virgin price uh, in order to obtain her. And then if the father, if you had slept with her, if the father was upset at you for sleeping with his daughter, then you had to pay all that money to the father. Anyhow, even if he didn't give her to you as your wife. I mean, these are very strict and narrow guidelines that God doesn't want us to veer away from. Uh, fourth point here, if someone was previously married to another individual and is now single and is having a sexual relationship with another single person, it is still considered adultery. It's because what I read to you earlier, this idea if you divorce someone, you become an adulterer and they become an adulteress because it is assumed you're just going to marry somebody else. The fifth point, if someone gets divorced and remains or remarries for the purposes of having a sexual relationship, they will be committing adultery. Now, I need to say that one again. If someone gets divorced and remarries for the purposes of having a sexual relationship, they will be committing adultery. God's standard is perfection. And you look at this and you go, like the disciples, it's better just not to get married then. And Jesus would say, yeah, if you can receive it. Now, how many of us follow this? Nobody. I, I, I don't, I, I'm trying to think if I know of somebody that 
has been raised, never fooled around, virgins when they get married, and for the rest of their life until they die. In our society, I don't know who that is. You know, the age group, 18 to 25 in our country, 80% of them think, the millennials, they think premarital sex is okay. 80%. Now, it's way down below 20% that think it's okay to commit adultery. That's amazing. It's still way down there. But this 80% is whatever, man. You don't have to be married. And I could see why the guys would really push this. The guys push it because, hey, no responsibility, no marriage certificate, no problems, man. I'm not married. I get to skip out on what Paul said. I want to spare you this. If you get married, you're going to have a lot of trouble in this life because you're going to seek how you can take care of her, right? She's going to be number one. And if you don't take care of her, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so that's what Paul said. And the guy gets to skip out on that. And he is just living life. It is fantastic for him. It is terrible for the young girl or the older woman. It's terrible because the guy has no incentive whatsoever to become responsible. And it is the woman that makes him responsible. And also for young men, it's the fathers. If the fathers are absent, guess what happens to the young men? The young men just, they go off. They do whatever they want. They have no confines. And and we already know this in certain segments of our society. With children who are born out of wedlock, what happens to the young boys? And they grow up to men and they have no responsibility whatsoever. And God says, look, just don't do this. And the girl sleeps with a guy because she thinks, well, you know, he loves me. No, if he loves me, he won't. He won't sleep with you. He won't try to pursue that. Now, to bring that under wraps for a guy? Ah, you can't imagine. Why do you think they used to sequester the girls and the guys? And now you go to the major colleges, and guess what? The dormitories are co-ed. It's a nightmare. It is just a nightmare. And by the way, I just read this morning in the... Mail Online, the Daily Mail Online UK, that there is a radicalized imam that just told a group of young men, and this was caught on tape, that it is okay. And one of the youngest there was 13 years old. What he told them was, and it was a group of young Muslim believers, and he said, it is okay to have sex slaves. That's what he told them. That's what's being taught in radical Islam. That they can kidnap girls. They can kidnap boys. By the way, a word for that is a catamite. If you have a young boy that is there for sexual favors and he is your sex slave, he is a catamite. That is also known on the the man's side as pederastic behavior. That is rampant around the world. It is rampant here. I know that Les and Marjorie are involved in this sex slave uh, prevention industry it's just it's a horrible thing but that's the way the world is going and so a sixth point here in the old testament if someone was caught in an adulterous affair do you know what happened to them they were stoned and that doesn't mean cannabis that means people took rocks and they actually stoned them 
Now, again, another personal illustration here. I remember being in, it was uh, fourth, fifth, or sixth grade, and they would take us into the auditorium, and behind the curtain in the auditorium, they would show us movies because it was real dark in there. And one movie they showed us was called The Lottery. And it showed this small town. And in this small town, everybody was happy. And they're getting together. It looked like they were having a potluck. And they put all their dishes in the main square of the town. And they were going, getting ready to eat their dishes. But then everybody got this somber look on them. And out comes this leader of the town. And he has this bucket. And this bucket has a bunch of pieces of paper in it with names on it. And it was required, and everybody was almost looking fearful at that point, and somebody was required to go and pull out a name. And when they pulled out a name, then the person's name who was called, and in this particular movie we saw in elementary school, they pulled it out, and that person got real fearful, started to back away, and everybody around him picked up stones and stoned the person. We saw that in elementary school, and it was called the lottery is what it was called. I don't know why the teacher showed us that, uh, but they did. They, they showed us this particular film. And that's what would happen. If we were a Jewish congregation and this was a synagogue and I was the head of the synagogue there and a woman was caught in adultery and so was the man, it would be our jobs to make this decree. Maybe it would go to the Sanhedrin, but it would be our jobs to pick up the stones and actually stone them to make sure you try to hit the head so that they die quicker of their injuries. And God had decreed that this was supposed to happen. He was so serious about this. He wanted it to be such a fearful act that the people would not violate it. Now, remember Jesus in the New Testament when the woman was caught in adultery? This is exactly what was happening. John chapter 8, verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of, the, of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. And so Jesus wasn't saying, don't fulfill the law. He was saying, okay, first one who is not guilty, you go ahead, throw the stone. And of course, they all walked away. We don't know what he wrote in the sand at that point, but I have the question too, which always comes up in this set of verses, where's the man? The man, I'm sure, was in collusion with these guys and said, don't worry, we'll cover for you. It'll be okay. We're just going to grab the woman because we need to get Jesus and we need to get him killed. And it's just terrible. And the New Testament, it tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Number one is sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And here's the clincher. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. God says the number one point, the reason he's coming back to earth and he's going to judge the earth is because of sexual immorality. Now, I don't know about you, but I sat down last night and day before, two days before, and I'm going over this stuff and I I said to myself, I am not encouraged. I look at this and I go, God, we... We are so far gone as a society that we want anything 
to just be pervasive as far as the sexual relationship is concerned. We want no restraints whatsoever. Now I'm going to continue this. Also, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It gets worse from here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor swindlers, nor slanderers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He says... Do not be deceived. Why would we be deceived? We'd be deceived into thinking that it's okay to have this relationship, this physical sexual relationship, and God will forgive me. God says, do not be deceived. Those who believe that, those who live like this, do not go to heaven. At this point, I'm going, well, and that's not the only one that applies there. Uh, There's greedy, drunkard, slanderers, swindlers, those people will not enter the kingdom of heaven as well. And they might think, God forgives me for this. He's a gracious God. God says, oh, put on the brakes. Galatians chapter 5 says the same thing. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, at this particular point, I ask myself, have I committed adultery in my mind in my entire life? Yes, I have. Have I been greedy? Yes, I have. Have I been a slanderer? Yes, I have. All of those things I look at and go, I am not encouraged. And what about since I've been a Christian? Have I committed, have I broken any one of the Ten Commandments? Yes, I have. And I'm going, hey, okay, so what's the remedy now? What am I supposed to do? Well, it's not over. We have the setting, defining the problem as it manifests in our culture. How is this really manifesting? What do we see taking place here? Well, First of all, this is one of the plagues or one of the things that plagues our generation. It's called the sexual revolution. We have the adultery. We have the fornication, two single people having a sexual relationship outside of marriage, homosexuality, prostitution, pornography. The size of pornography worldwide is a $57 billion a year worldwide industry. In the United States, it's $12 billion a year. That is more revenue than... All professional football, baseball, basketball franchises, revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC all put together. That's how much money is being made. You know, the, I was reading this same... By the way, there's a website you can go to. It's called the White Rose Movement. And it started with uh, some women and trying to minister to those who are in the sex industry in these... Um, Strip shops, I guess is what you call them, uh, where men go and they watch women dance. One of those places, even in the least profitable areas of different towns across America, can make $1 million. One store. The bigger stores can make $20 million a year. That's how much they make. That means as a society... We are spending a lot of money 
going towards this. And not just these things. There's polyamory, multiple partners or spouses at the same time. That is next, by the way, as far as marriage is concerned. First it was gay marriage. Now it's going to be polyamory. There's the sex slavery or sex trade. There's the uh, pederasty. There's the polygamy. All of these things are taking place in our society. And in the Old Testament, the word thou shalt not commit adultery, it means adultery. It means going outside of your marital bond. In the New Testament, when Jesus says adultery, the word that he uses is porneia. Porneia is everything that encompasses sexual immorality. So when you see it in the NIV and it says fornication or it says adultery, it's the word porneia. So it's not just limited to adultery. Jesus was talking about all sexual immorality. He wasn't limiting it to one thing. And then the solution, how do you battle against the sin that is so pervasive in our world? First, I want to say, I, I don't have all the answers for this conundrum. All I can do is tell you what scripture says. The genie is out of the bottle, so to speak, in our world. Gay marriage is now legal. Polyamorous marriages will be next. There is a movement still underway by the group known as NAMBLA to remove all age of consent laws. It's dropping further and further. Back in the 1800s, the 19th century, it was down to the age of 12, but then it got raised to the age of 16. And in many countries, the age of consent is now 16. And there are those who want to just remove that altogether. So what does the Bible say? What are we supposed to do as Christians? Two things. First, confess. We need to be able to say, this is wrong. We don't want to do that. Why don't we want to do that? Because we're guilty. And if we're guilty, what does that make you if you say it's wrong? A hypocrite. If you confess to God and say, God, I'm a hypocrite. Your word is true. This is wrong. That's where we start. And you can say, it's wrong in my life, too. That's the second thing. We have to repent. We have to say, God, I am so sorry. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is a gracious God. So those two things we're supposed to do. And also, Jesus came because he wanted to call not the righteous but sinners to repentance which in here we all say we are sinners. We freely admit it. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to, leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry I got caught. Godly sorrow is, I am guilty, and God, I need your forgiveness. And what about the sinner? What about when we fail? In this room we are going to fail. We're just not going to do it right. And, you know, I have some additional questions, questions that I would ask of God. God, since this is so narrow and the way this, this is supposed to be handled, what about singles who have a God-given sex drive? What if they're single for most of their life? What are they supposed to do? What about divorcees and also, that also have a drive to be with somebody physically? Do we condemn them to a life of singleness? You know, the, one person would say, yes, that's what it says in First Corinthians chapter 7, that if you divorce your husband, you're to remain single for the rest of your life. That's it. It's very narrow. What about that? We, we could do that. You know, we could just point, and that is Scripture. Please make no mistake. That's what it says. What about 
those who, oh, and by the way, with that, if you divorce your spouse and you live single, God says, well, if you want to have sex again, be reconciled. What if the person is a drug dealer or a murderer or is a molester of your children? What is supposed to happen then? You know, I, I have a hard time with that. I know what God's word says. And I'm not saying to compromise God's word. Please do not misread what I'm saying. What about married couples who have different sex drives? How often do you think that happens? Daily? Maybe? Maybe more than daily? Where one person is just like... Over, I know one pastor and his wife, the, when they got married, the wife was going, what am I going to do with this guy? You know, and, and another women's retreat, uh, Patty told me years and years ago, a woman came up and said, is nine times a day too much? You know, the poor woman. Yeah, I just can't imagine something like that. And these things are real and they exist. And what are you supposed to do in that kind of case? And life, it's, it's a life of sacrifices, what you're supposed to do. And God gave, it's like, God says sacrifice, right? The sex drive is just like the food drive. It's just like the drive for air. It's just, this is for the guys mostly, I'm sure. But it's also like the drive for water. It's like at some point, you have to satiate the desire. And what are you supposed to do with all these people that fall into these categories? What about military personnel who are separated for long periods of time without their spouses? What are they supposed to do? Why do you think there's so much adultery? You know, the point is, we live in a fallen world, and there are so many people that struggle with this. And as Christians, we can come along and say, you are guilty, single, celibate. I mean, we can point fingers all day long. Nice for you to say you're married, right? And we can condemn a whole section of the Christian community who's trying to live a life that is holy and separate for God. And we can condemn them. You know, so I have my own personal questions about this. Like, God, are you going to condemn them? Well, you know, in God's justice, I think he would were it not for his mercy. He's going to extend to them mercy because as Christians, we know we're sinners. We are only saved by the grace of God. We can't do everything right. Our bodies are fallen. And so what we do is we hold up the standard. This is the standard. You live with that standard as much as you possibly can, all that is within you. And when you fail, fall on your face, on your knees before God and say, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. And those who are spiritual, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, if somebody has fallen, if they're caught in a sin, we bring them alongside and say, let us help you. Let us work through this together. Let us be a point of support for you in trying to overcome this because I'm telling you it is not going to go away and it's just going to get worse and our kids are going to be exposed to everything the internet is out there if they haven't been exposed to pornography already they will be and then you run the risk of them becoming addicted to that not being married sex outside of marriage all of these things it is just going down the tubes we are not going to be able to put, like I said, this genie back in the bottle. So in closing, the first thing I'm going to want to do is pray for all of you. And if you need prayer afterwards, you can see me, Dustin, Eric. You can see Mercedes. You can see Patty. You can see Jennifer. You can talk to anyone, and we'll pray for you. 
And we should not be those who condemn, but those who rescue, those who come alongside and assist. So let me pray for you. Father, for all of us who are in here, the temptations are ubiquitous. They are everywhere. I desire to be loved and to give love. All of these things that work themselves out into the sexual relationship. It is difficult for us, Lord. And I know, we know, that you understand this. But you have given your standard. And so, Father, as it is possible with you, and we know all things are possible, give us a double portion of your spirit that we may walk and be holy. And for anyone in here, Lord, that may feel condemned, if they are confessing their sins to you, Lord, I pray that you would fill them, that you would bless them, that you would overflow them with your spirit, knowing that you are the God who forgives. And that's all we can do, Lord. We can't perform acts or buffet our bodies to make the desire go away, for it comes from you. And those who are struggling and will struggle, Father, show them your grace, show them your peace, show them your strength. And as we minister to each other, give us wisdom, Lord. Give us wisdom to do things your way and to be able to proclaim your word in a way that is not condemning for those who are outside the church are already condemned. But Lord, in a way that leads to godliness and sanctification and hope for those who are caught. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen.